Welcome to another episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and my guest for this episode is a woman who is passionate about promoting LGBTQ plus rights and inclusion and teaching others to do the same. Jeannie Gainsbourg's passion was sparked in 2003 when she felt called to support the LGBTQ plus community through volunteering. She looked up the word gay in the phone book and found her local LGBTQ plus center in Rochester, New York, and called to ask if she could volunteer. After two years of volunteering, Jeannie was hired by the agency as the education and outreach coordinator. In 2013, she was promoted to the education director, and since then she has personally facilitated or co-facilitated over 500 trainings and workshops on the LGBTQ inclusion and effective allyship. Jeannie is now the founder of Savvy Ally Action and author of the book, The Savvy Ally, a guide for becoming a skilled LGBTQ advocate, which was released in 2020. As an award-winning educational trainer and consultant in the field of LGBTQ inclusion and effective allyship, Jeannie has much to teach us about allyship. So listen in on our conversation. First Story Speaks podcast. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. Happy Pride Month. That's right. And like I told you in our little chat, I just appreciate so much you taking this time for this conversation because I know it's a super busy month for you with the work that you do. And we'll get into what that is. Once I read your book, I just wanted to have you on this podcast so badly this month. So I'm just so glad you made, made the time for it. So thank you. You're welcome. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, let's start off. Like I mentioned, this this is your work and this is a busy month. So can you give us just a brief intro to yourself, where you live, kind of what you do in your day to day, those sort of things? Sure. Um, so my name is Jeannie Gainsburg. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Uh, I am a straight cisgender ally to the community, the LGBTQ plus communities, which means that I'm straight and I'm not transgender. I let's see, I live in Rochester, New York, which is nowhere near New York City. Um, for <laughs> everyone's always like, oh, New York, they think of New York City, where I'm way up uh, near Canada um, on Lake Ontario. And um, I live with my husband. I have two grown children, ages uh, 28 and 25, who live in different um, states. And uh, my cat, Carlos, who I talk about in the book, um, because I messed with his pronouns at one point. Um, I love beach volleyball. That's kind of my passion uh, when I have time to play it, which is a ridiculous sport to play in upstate New York. You know, (laughs) the season is really short, Uh, but we do have an indoor sand facility, which lets me play year round. Um, And yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm often busy with my parents. I've got two elderly parents, age 90 and 89, who both live locally and I'm the only sibling in the area. So uh, a lot of my time when I'm not working is dedicated to helping with their care. That's just a little bit about me. (laughs) So that's like, you just said a little bit about you and a bigger part about you is kind of what, what brought you here today and is what your daily life, your job consists of. And your book is called the Savvy Savvy Ally, a guide for becoming a skilled LGBTQ plus advocate. And like you said, you are a cisgendered straight woman, but yet this is, is your passion to teach, to do workshops, to teach others. So let's start with how you got involved with this work, because you are really, I mean, I'll have folks will know in an intro, like all your credentials, like you're just not somebody that like, oh, this is a hobby I've learned on my own. Like you 
have done so much work, education, like to be qualified to teach what you teach about becoming an ally to the LGBTQ plus community. Tell me how you got involved with that. And I usually have my guests start at like when their their childhood, their origin story, but I don't know if that matters for your work or not. But if it does, take us there as far back as you want to go. Okay, fun. Um, I'd, I'd say it's pertinent. Um, I, I grew up in New Jersey in a suburb of New York City uh, to, to very liberal parents, especially for the time. Um, gay was not like a, a bad word in our house. It was actually spoken and it was normalized, you know, so that right there was a huge message for me. Um, I didn't grow up knowing any LGBTQ plus people who were out. And I want to state that like I knew a lot of LGBTQ plus people I later found out. Um, No one was out in my community. No one was out in my family. In fact, still, um, I think there's that big stereotype that, you know, allies always have a family member who's part of the communities. Um, I don't actually know. I have no no family members that I know of who are part of the LGBTQ plus communities, which um, I like to share because I think it kind of busts that myth a little bit that that would be the only reason that people would be involved. Um, But I just remember like arguing in eighth grade with my best friend. I don't remember, excuse me. I found a note that I was passing, which surprised me a little bit. Eighth grade, I'm passing with my best friend about gay people. And she's basically talking about how gross they are. And I'm responding with like, live and let live. What is your problem? Which I was really pleased to see in eighth grade that I had that attitude. Um, I do like to clarify that I was not an ally at that point. I was just tolerant, you know, in a time when a lot of people weren't, I wasn't doing anything um, to help promote LGBTQ plus inclusion. And in fact, it was many, many years before I got involved. Um, I won't go into too much detail. I talked a little bit in my book about that, but I really did have um, like one of these aha moments when I turned 40. Um, So, you know, having spent my whole life thinking like, what's the big deal? I don't understand why people are so, you know, get their panties in a bunch over like LGBTQ plus people and having done nothing about it. I was uh, reading a book that my husband had given me for my 40th birthday that was about the um, the women who fought for the right for women to vote in the United States. And I don't know if you do this, but when I read history, I tend to like put myself back in that time period and think okay. like, how would I have behaved? Would I have known that this was morally right or wrong? And so I was kind of playing that game and I had just convinced myself that I would be marching right alongside all these amazing women who fought for my right to vote. And um, it suddenly just hit me. I was like, Jeannie, you are such a hypocrite. Like here you are fantasizing about how you would have behaved, you know, a hundred years ago when you're doing nothing, nothing for any social justice fights right now in your lifetime. And so it, it was, it was such a powerful, like, wow moment that the next morning I was still thinking about it. I looked up the word gay in the phone book. And um, interestingly, our LGBTQ plus center here in Rochester at the time was called the Gay Alliance. So I found it like right away, um, called and asked if I could volunteer. And that was in 2003. Again, I was age 40. And um, I I jumped on board volunteering, kind of doing a little bit of everything, really, like helping out in the office, answering phones, um, doing some speaking, although I was terrible at it because I knew nothing (laughs) about the LGBTQ plus communities. In fact, one of the motivators for writing my book was that I really wanted a guidebook. You know, just tell me what to say. Tell me what not to say. I was so worried I was going to mess up and accidentally offend people, which I did. um, And which, you know, of course we all do unless we have a guidebook. 
Um, anyway, so I, I worked for that agency as a volunteer for about two and a half years, and then they hired me to be part of their staff, taking over their education program. Um, and eventually I became the education director there, which um, I, you know, put me in charge of all of crafting all of the curriculum and, and training all of our speakers and traveling the country, you know, offering these workshops. And, um, and I just, I just had such a wealth of information in my head when I finally moved on, you know, to, um, to a different, you know, basically starting my own, my own small business. I ended up at that agency for 15 years. So it was a good chunk of my adult life. And um, that really is where I got the information to write that book. I was like, I've got such amazing information in my head about how to be an ally. I really should be writing this down and creating a book. And um, that was the book that I created. And I do, I do think of it as sort of the guidebook for becoming an ally. And um, my it's the book's actually doing so well that my editor wants a second edition. So I'm actually currently um, writing again, which is fun. And um, I just hope that, you know, every three or four years I'm able to just yeah. update it and it, and it, you know, keep things, keep us all savvy and right. uh, current. And, and so. current. So did it come out in 2020? I was looking at the copyright or no, before that <laughs> or 2020? Worse than that, it came out March 12th, 2020. Oh. If you can picture that, it was- it was so like, like absolute like, very worst time for a book launch. Yeah, and it was like day one of the national pandemic shutdown. Um, yeah, so I got like, yeah. you know, my book launch canceled, all my initial yeah. workshops canceled. It was just this like complete false start um, for my book, which was frustrating. But hence why um, I probably never heard of your book until because I'm like, how did I never see this book? And then I'm like, it came out in 2020. Maybe that's why. So, but yeah. yes, to us. Updating and relaunching and getting it out there. And how amazing is that, that you listen to that, that voice to get involved with this social justice fight and it has become your life. I mean, that's just such an incredible story. So then did you go back to college for some things or no, like take me to where you are now and what you do? Yeah. So, um, no, actually, so I, I have a master's in social, but that was, that was prior to this. Um, okay. I, I used to actually work in women's reproductive health care. And then I took some time off when I had children, um, to be a stay at home and care for them. And then this was kind of like, so my children were just at the age where they were like, my little one was in preschool and my older one was in elementary school. And I was okay. thinking, you know, I'd like to do some volunteering. I'd like to get back into it. So this yeah. all kind of happened at once. So, um, no, so I just jumped into that job. I did it for 15 years. Um, eventually I moved on and started my own small business about three years ago. Um, and basically okay. doing the same work, but really focusing on allyship as, as an ally, I I'm very careful about not, um, you know, stepping on toes or presenting things that should be presented by the LGBTQ plus community mm -hmm. members. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually work closely with some of the other organizations here in Rochester, um, to make sure that I'm, you know, and we could, we're going to, I'm sure talk about allyship yeah, yeah. too, and how important that is, but um, yeah. So okay. for the last three years, I've just been, I've been writing, I've been running workshops. Um, I've been, I, I also create little videos. I don't know if you, oh, you saw some of them on, on Instagram. I know you I commented on them, um, but every month I launch a new um, little like two to three minute video with savvy ally tips. Um, so those are some of the things that I've Okay. Been and we will, at the end of the show, we'll make sure people have the links to your Facebook, website, Instagram, all of that. So before we get into some basics, I know you say in your book, this book is not about why to be an ally, but rather how, but your why is important. So can you share with us, you just did a little bit, but your why that keeps you doing this every day. 
Mm, the everyday why. Um, okay. Yeah, that's good. So I won't, I won't share my why in the book, the sort of like what got me started kind of why, but um, I think the everyday why is I, you know, I want to live in a world where everyone can be their authentic selves. It, it just hurts my soul that people move through the world and can't be authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, I want it to be as easy for people to come out as LGBTQ plus as it was for me to come out as straight and cisgender, which is to say, I didn't have to, I didn't have to, because there was no indicator that I was on the wrong path, if you will. You know what I mean? That's the only reason that LGBTQ plus folks have to come out. It's because this goes against our norm. It goes against what we think is okay. And when we, when we start to raise our children in a way that makes it clear that we're, we're ready (laughs) to hear that they are anyone, right. And that they love anyone and our schools are having you know, including curriculum that involves, you know, LGBTQ plus people and families and folks that are, you know, diverse in their gender expression, then it becomes a non-issue to come out. Then parents are all just like, you know, kind of waiting until their child develops and figuring it out. Kind of like figuring out that your kid is left-handed rather than right-handed. It's like, okay, you know, there's a 10% chance they might be (laughs) left-handed. (laughs) <laughs> Look, I want it to be like that, you know, oh, they're lesbian, they're trans. Okay. Right. I was expecting it. That, that's a possibility. I was ready for that. Um, so that, that's my, my ultimate goal is to get to that place. Okay. And I know you're hopeful that we, we can get there. I think spaces <laughs> of faith and religion have a long way to go in that area. And that's kind of part of my why is like, I see the, the hurt and the harm that is done in those spaces and we don't have to go into, but we know the suicide rates, the homelessness rates, all of that among LGBTQ youth especially are so much higher. So there are real lives at at stake here with this um, topic and being an ally. So give us your definition of an ally. Let's get into some very basics and then we'll dig in a little deeper. So for folks listening, what is an actual definition of an ally? Because I think there's a lot of different thoughts of what that actually is. I think so. And we could probably talk for an hour just on that. But um, so it's kind of the dictionary definition that I tend to use is an ally is someone who is not a part of a particular marginalized group of people, but who stands up for and advocates for the rights of folks, you know, in that group. Um, That's very simple. I do like to define ally broadly and help people understand that even if you're part of the LGBTQ plus communities, you can also be an ally to others within those communities. So if you're um, a cisgender lesbian, for example, you can be an ally to the trans communities, like just very different communities experiencing very different, you know, types of discrimination. Um, If you're a white trans man, you can be an ally to trans women of color who are marginalized and victimized in, in much different ways. So I always make sure I define it that way so that people know that my workshops and my book are not just for straight cis folks, right? I actually, one of the best compliments, I I think I, one of my favorite compliments is when someone who's part of the LGBTQ plus communities reads my book or attends one of my workshops is like, I learned so much about my own community, you know, because we don't always know, like a, a cisgender, you know, gay man, for example, it's a very different identity from someone who's non-binary or a trans woman. You know, the experiences are so different. So I like to define that broadly. And then um, the only other thing I'll say about ally, and again, I feel like we could, you know, I'm happy to field more questions about this if you want, but I think that one of the um, main pushbacks against allies that I like to bring up is that um, we shouldn't 
even though I use the word ally, it's descriptive. I mean, it would be hard to write a book about allies without using the word ally. Um, it's important for us to think of it not as an identity, as in like, I'm, I'm here now, I'm an ally, let me put my ally badge on, right, I'm done, um, and think about it more as a compliment, as something that, you know, a word that someone refers to you as if you're doing it right. Um, and so realizing that we are all constantly becoming allies, like my whole life, I will be becoming an ally, I'm ne I've never arrived and I think that's so critical to think about. I know some people say, like, think of think of ally as a verb, not a noun. You know, it's, it's about action. And I think that's just really important is don't, don't take it on as an identity, um, you know, a, but more of more of a compliment. That's super helpful, because I, I did have something in my notes about that, because I remember last year just reading something or seeing posts about you're not an ally unless somebody from that community says you are. And I was kind of confused about that, but that goes along, I think, with what you're saying. It's not like an identity. It's like you almost it's a verb of what you're you're doing and becoming. So am right. I hearing that right and understanding that right? Yes. And okay. what we're seeing now is if, if you know anyone who's sort of look, watching what's happening, you know, on the internet or doing reading, what we're seeing now is that people are so a lot of people are so upset about the word ally and the fact that allyship hasn't been done well that we're moving into different words like advocate and um, co-conspirator and um, you know uh, all, <laughs> I can't even think of them all. But I'm like I keep reading about all these other words and I'm like I can't even keep up with all these words mean and you know the, but the 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 gist of it is I think it goes back to this point is that people are sort of getting disgusted with bad allyship. And so I, I kind of feel like we don't need to change the word. We need to change the allyship that we're doing, right? We just need to make sure we're doing it correctly. Right. So I have, you'll notice in my book, I don't, I don't really talk about the difference between like being an ally and being an advocate and being a, you know, all, all these different things. Um, I think that we just need to do allyship correctly and, you know, not, so not just get rid of the word. And I won't, I'm, I don't want to stick on this too long. I just want to make sure. So would I say like, I am an ally or no, would some, is that okay to say when nobody's actually said to me, oh, you're an ally of ours? It's a great or question. It's a great question. So I think it could be used in some context. Like for example, you're calling up um, a local venue because they're having a, um, an LGBTQ plus poetry reading. Right. And you might say like, Hey, I'm just wondering, I want to make sure that I'm being respectful. Are allies allowed in this space? Um, that that might be okay to use that because you're basically saying I'm supporting this community, but I'm not part of the community. Is it okay for me to attend? You could also say like are cis cisgender straight people allowed to attend? But I think ally implies, you know, I'm on board with this. So in that context, you know, that might be something that I might use it. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't go around basically saying I'm an ally. I'm more I'm more likely to say I'm straight. I'm a, you know I'm straight and cisgender to let people know my identities. Um, okay. You know, so, so does last question with the ally thing, maybe, maybe not <laughs> somebody that goes out, buys the t-shirt, buys the stuff, the pride stuff displays it. Are they an ally or are they the start of an ally or ally? Oh, it's just because they're doing that. You mean? Yeah. 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 That's, oh, that's, I mean. like, that's a great question. I get this all the time. Like there's a lot of conversation around like, is someone just being a performative ally, you know, just performing yes. or are they actually doing the work? And so there, there's, there's such a fine line there that I feel like, so let me just say that for, for some people, if, you know, if all you do for 20 years is stick a, a rainbow pin on your backpack or your shirt, that's not doing a whole heck of a lot. 
Right. <laughs> That's a minuscule, you know, ally action. There's so much more you can do. With that said, I think that for some people, putting a rainbow button on a backpack is a huge, bold move. Yeah. And we don't know that, right? They may be coming from a background where this is enormous to them. This is an enormous show of support considering where they're coming from. So I really, I, I, I don't judge people. I really try not to judge people about like how much allyship are they doing and are they a good ally? I think there's a lot of conversation around that. And I, and I, I don't know how productive it is. I think it's more productive to just support people and, you know, show ways that we can be more actionable and have, you know, heart to heart conversations, ally to ally, um, and sort of pull away from that. You're a good ally and you're not kind of conversation. I just don't think it gets us very far. And I think it also is really intimidating to folks who, um, one of the things I found really intimidating, I write about this in my book is sort of those daunting lists of like, here are all the things you need to do and check off before you can consider yourself an ally. I look at those lists, I'm like, I do this as a, as a living and I can't check everything on that list. I can't. And it's unfair to think that, you know, this is what everyone has to do in order to call this. I mean, again, you know, in order to be an ally or, or a good ally. Um, so I tend to shy away from the, not shy away, I tend to move away from those conversations and try and redirect them towards let's just support each other. Let's, let's show with our actions, what are great, you know, ways to be, allies um, and, you know, try not to get too judgy about who's, who's doing what and who's not doing enough. Um, That's so helpful. That makes sense. It's so helpful because I know I'm not alone in that we don't want to do it wrong, whether that's, you know, being an ally to the black community, the Asian community, LGBTQ, like we don't want to do anything wrong. So maybe we'll just be quiet. And that's definitely not helping anything. So um, I appreciate so much what you said. And you do go into that a little bit also in your book about we're not looking, you're not looking for perfect allies, like just we're going to mess up, but just getting out there, doing it, learning, doing, saying yeah. all of those things is so important. So no such thing as a perfect ally. They and don't people, exist. People need to hear that. People need to hear that. And I also appreciate you saying like, we're all at different spaces in that because somebody that's in a very fundamentalist church and putting a rainbow out or saying they're affirming is not the same as you saying it. I mean, right. so, so we're all at different places in that. So I do think we have to give each other, everybody a lot of grace for where they're at and all of that. Yeah. Um, so let's start with some very basics. And I don't want to go into these too much because people can Google things and they can get your book, but just as kind of like a foundation, if folks are listening and they're like still confused and your book does a very good job of giving information because part of Allyship is knowing what you're talking about. Like you said, when you were getting into this, you're like, I just, I need to know, I need to learn. And so let's go over the whole, what the letters stand for. And we don't have to get into each letter, but that list keeps growing. And I know some people think, why are there so many letters and why does this list continue to grow? So can you answer that? Like, what is the proper now? Is it LGBTQ plus or LGBTQIA plus? Tell us, talk so a little bit about all that. I'd love to. And there is no proper. There's no, okay. this is the right initialism. Um, interestingly, I also talk about my book. It's an initialism and not an acronym. A lot of people call it the acronym, an acronym, but an acronym is actually when, when the initials create a word like, like mad mothers yeah, against right. driving. Yeah. But LGBTQ plus is an initialism. So there is no, there's no right answer here. In fact, if you go, like, I know Canada now, a lot of folks that I'm emailing in Canada have started to put the two S first for two spirit, which like you never see that in the U S. So 
Let me just back up and say that um, at least here in upstate New York, the last time I saw the entire initialism written out it, it completely, it was LGBTQQIAA2SPP and growing. So um, I joke in my book that, you know, back when I worked for the nonprofit, we couldn't afford the ink to print it all out. Um, but, but, you know, kidding aside, it is, it's not super user-friendly. It's, it's huge and it's growing. So we can't, so it's hard to stay even up, up to date, even if we were to spell it all out. So most everyone looks for ways that they can condense it, make it more user-friendly and still be respectful. And so if you're wondering why things keep shifting around, it has to do with that still being respectful, right? So when I started my work 20 years ago as an active ally, the initialism was GLBT. Um, and so you can see how much it's already shifted. I'd say that in the US, um, LGBTQ plus seems to be the most common initialism, which is why I went with that for my book and my workshops, but we'll often see an I included for intersex, we'll often see an A included for asexual. Um, and really everyone gets to choose which initialism they think is the most respectful and they wanna use. So there's no right or wrong to me. So let me just briefly say LGBTQ stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. The, queer can, the Q can stand for queer or questioning. And as I said, sometimes you'll see both Qs, but the plus to me is really the, the part that makes it so respectful and inclusive. Um, the plus is not there to minimize any of the identities that didn't get included, but to make sure people are aware that there are so many other identities that are included in this initialism. And so the plus to me is kind of the most important part, no matter whether you decide to add the I or the A um, or two Qs, having that plus there, I think is really critical. But I think that helps people sort of understand why they're seeing different initialisms and, and you know, what, what that's about. Yeah, for sure. And to know, to put, to put the plus there. So you are inclusive with all of that. And people that are saying like, well, is this list just going to continue to grow? And are people just making these up? How do you answer, answer that? That are just a little, mm. yeah, I hope so. That's my answer. I hope it continues right. to grow. <laughs> okay. That's right. Well, uh, I share an article in my book called why we need more. I, I'm not going to get the exact name, but why we need more, you know, queer identity terms rather than fewer. And I think that's so spot on. I mean, I think that the, so basically People who say like, what's up, what's up with all these letters? You know, why do we need all these identities? Mm -hmm. That question comes most likely from a person who has their identities like fully locked in place, whether it's someone like myself who straightens his gender or whether it's a, a, you know, a transgender man, it's like they have their identity words and they're done. They found it for the folks that haven't found their identity words. Um, they're, they're, they're out there flailing. I mean, I share a, a story about a young woman named Dee in my book who, who's from the Philippines and in her, in her language before she knew English, um, there was no word for trans woman. So she had no idea who she was literally like she, she basically got, she got grouped in with a bunch of, um, other folks who were like, I guess it was mostly the gay, the gay boys in her school, she sort of got lumped in with them. And she was like, well, maybe I'm gay. Like I, she just had no idea who she was until she learned English. And then all of a sudden she's got this identity word trans woman. It was like, bingo, that's it. And she was able to move forward in both living authentically and, and sort of coming out as her true self. And so when we don't have those words, we're, we're basically, you know, um, often taking on words that don't quite fit. <laughs> you know, and you'll hear stories like this too. Like a lot of trans men have started 
um, coming out as lesbians first because they didn't necessarily know the word trans and they're like, well, something's different about me. I'm, you know, I'm not this. And so that you, you end up taking identities that don't necessarily fit. And when you get your identity, it's just amazing. And so it shouldn't really surprise anyone that, that new identities are being sort of created all the time to help people understand who they are. And, um, I think it's a wonderful thing. I mean, I, I sort of, um, in this fantasy world, I sort of imagine that, you know, there's just more and more and more and more and more identity words until we're almost just all individual. I mean, if you think about how many people are on the planet, it makes sense that there would be so many different identity words. Um, it but really yeah, so people then don't feel like something's wrong with them when they don't fit one of those right. boxes or check marks. So people can exactly. start feeling like they're not broken. They, yep. they are who they are and don't have to fit in those other boxes. So, yeah. And you do a great job of going into those in your book. And another thing, and I'm watching the clock because I need to prioritize what we want to talk about today. So folks just do have to buy your book because we can't get into everything. <laughs> One of the things I was going to get into, but I'm not because of time's sake. And you again, do a great job in your book of going over these is those five components of sexually, sexual and gendered beings, um, the biological sex, the gender identity, gender expression, attraction, and intimate behaviors. And you have a whole chapter about each of those and the spectrum that we all can be on within those. And that really does help folks understand like what, what those kind of make up those letters to mean. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to get into that because I wanted to, but we're not going to, because folks can get your book and read that whole chapter. So I want to move forward with some conversations about coming out, parenting and the church. So you have a whole chapter on coming out. And one of the things that struck me is in all your years of work and all the stories you've heard, you always hear that the hardest part for kids is when they come out to their parents, even in the most affirming homes, even in the most loving homes. So I, I was surprised at the caveat because I just thought, oh, well, that just must be religious homes or homes that have said it's a sin. So talk a little bit more into that why and then some practical tips for what parents can do to create let, that safe space for when kids mm not just when kids come out, but if they come out and sure. Yeah. So I, I was surprised to hear that too, actually. So one of the things I mentioned that I, I trained all the speakers when I worked at the Alliance and um, I heard story after story of people who grew up in these really, really affirming homes where the parents talked openly about LGBTQ plus people and positively and had a lot of even LGBTQ plus friends who came over to the house. And you would just think that these kids, when they were coming out, would be like, well, this is a no brainer. My parents are going to love me no matter what. Even in those cases, um, people would share that it was they, they were scared to death scared to death to come out to their parents. And what they told me was that the, the outside influences, whether it was, you know, their religion or their school or the media or, you know, all these other influences were so much stronger telling them, giving them negative messages about being LGBTQ plus that that sort of overpowered what their parents were saying. So that's horrifying. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try and create inclusive spaces in our homes. Of course we should, but I think it's just so telling that how much negativity is out there in the world um, about LGBTQ plus folks and families. Um, so to answer your question, so I have two children, neither of them have come out as LGBTQ plus. I, I think they're both straight and cisgender. Um, 
And I worked hard to create a home that felt inclusive. Um, and I think as you exactly mentioned, I love that you said that, like, it's not just if you have LGBTQ plus kids, first of all, we don't necessarily know if our kids are going to be LGBTQ plus when they're born. So we want to create that environment where they know they're going to be loved no matter what. Um, and if our kids aren't LGBTQ plus, we're creating this amazing space of inclusion, right? And not just LGBTQ plus, but like, let's make sure our kids are aware of in reading books about, you know, all kinds of families and all kinds of people, whether it's, you know, um, folks with, you know, a race or race and ethnicities that are different than ours, different skin color, different body types, different abilities. Like this is just amazing stuff that we can do simply with books, you know, to introduce our kids to all these different communities. So my first suggestion is as soon as you can prop their little chubby little bodies up against you and put a book in front of their faces, um, that, you know, read them books about all kinds of families. And, and there actually weren't a lot when my kids were little, but there are tons now, like really good beginner books about, you know, what makes a family. And again, it's not just the kid who's got two mommies or two daddies, but it's like the kid who's being raised by grandma or, you know, a single parent or a kid who's, you know, in a foster home. Um, so that's just a great way to, to do that. So normalizing um, families that aren't just one mom, one dad, normalizing yep. a lot of different options. So I'm sure that has to be really hard for what you, your work, knowing how many schools are banning these books and not giving kids access to them. Yes. Yeah. So even more important for focusing on the home, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying that that, that connected with me. And again, the important importance of allies speaking up in the schools and why, why we need those, because not all homes are, are doing that. So as far as maybe some other things, I know we won't go into too many because again, if folks go to your website, oh my gosh, you have so much information for, for free. You have a whole PDF on supporting your LGBTQ plus child, creating this inclusive environment. People can download all of that there. Let's touch on a little bit of responding. If your child comes out to you, what are some do's and don'ts of that? Because I think that's important. Give us some big do's and don'ts for when your child comes out and this coming out could be not, again, you have that chapter with the coming out steps. It might not just be like mom, dad, sit down or mom or grandma, grandma, sit down. I'm, I'm gay. It could be like some very questioning things, or I might want to change my pronouns, those sort of things. It can look a lot of different ways. So yes, give us some big do's and don'ts for that. Sure. So, um, some of my do's are to thank your child. Like that's one of the first things I do when someone comes out to me, it's, it's a compliment. If someone comes out to you, you know, they're saying they trust you. Um, they, you know, they, re they respect your opinion. They res they value the relationship that you're in. So, so a thank you is really important. Um, I think listening is important. Sometimes people somehow think that they need to, um, you know, help, there may be nothing to help with, you know, just listen, just the person told you just, just, you know, listen to, um, what they have to say. If there's a really awkward silence, and especially if you're a parent, you might want to reinforce that, that, you know, you absolutely love them. Like amazing that they can, you know, that they're figuring out who they are and they're being authentic and you, and you love them. Do not add the, no matter what, or the anyway, pack <laughs> that out. <laughs> the any, I love you anyway implies that this is a problem and I'm going to love you despite this little issue. Um, so just the, just 
stop with, I love you. That's beautiful. And then, um, ask, ask how you can support them. I mean, those are just sort of some three simple things and and I would kind of keep it simple. And those are the best things that you can say. And again, let your child do the talking or, or not. Um, however, they're, however they're feeling, um, a few common things to avoid are to ask, you know, if they think it might just be a phase, you know, I think this is, this is really common. And I know a lot of parents who are like, Every other child in school is coming out as non-binary. Like, I'm sorry, but I, I think this is a phase. You can think it, but saying it is not going to help this child in any way. It's only going to make them defensive. It's only going to make them double down. It's not, it's not respectful. So even if you think this is just a fad or a phase, just keep that in your head and just allow them to be and let them figure out who they are without any of that pressure about whether they really are or not. Um, If we switch that, I I talk about the switch it technique in my book. I use it throughout the book, but if we switch it and realize that like, we don't ever ask our, our straight cisgender children, if they think it's just a phase that they're straight, right. Then we realize that's probably not an appropriate thing to say to our um, LGBTQ plus kids. Um, don't ask when you just like, when did you decide to be LGBTQ plus? Because the word decide implies that it's a choice. It's something they chose. Um, you might want to say, how long have you known this about yourself? Which is a perfectly appropriate thing for a parent to say, um, not necessarily someone outside of the, the home though. Like that's a little invasive for a, for you to say to a coworker. Um, but a parent I think has, you know, I think that's coming from a good place. Just how long have you known and, and let the child have a conversation about that and, um, sort of, you know, what they've experienced. Um, also, I guess the final thing I just want to say, which I think is a common thing, a lot of parents say, well, I, I already knew, and they'll tell the child, like, I already knew this about you. Um, so first of all, I just want to say, you, you didn't already knew, you guessed. <laughs> you really, I mean, you guessed based on possibly some, some stereotypes. Um, so we don't really ever know until someone tells us, but the other problem with saying that you knew is it kind of def- may deflate the person who's sharing something really special and important. Like it, they, it may have taken a lot for your child to say this to you. And it just sort of takes this important moment and, and, you know, kind of turns it into nothing because you already knew. Um, I think it also, will often makes the children wonder what they did to make it so obvious and, and might others know. Um, and so, you know, just, I would just say, just avoid that. Um, just, I wouldn't go with the, I already knew, even if you feel like you had already, you know, figured that out. Um, I just want to share one final thing, which is, I think so helpful. It's something I recently learned. And I talk in my book about how allies are always learning and myself included. One of the cool things that I learned recently comes from Jacob Tobiah, who wrote the book Sissy. And they talk about how they think that we need a new, a new way to talk about coming out that isn't coming out of the closet but they talk about how we should think about coming out as a snail comes out of its shell. Um, And I really love this. And I think it's really pertinent to when we're looking at how we can respond to people who come out because coming out of the closet, I think it it tends to be like, oh, now they're being honest or now they're being brave. Whereas a snail, if a snail doesn't come out of its shell, it's because we scared it, right? (laughs) It's not like the snail's not being brave or the snail's being dishonest about, you know, (laughs) who it is, right? It's because the environment is hostile. And so if we think about people coming out as, you know, whether we're creating a hostile environment or we're creating an environment where the snail feels 
okay coming out, then we avoid saying things like, you know, thank you for being so honest, which implies that they were being dishonest before. Um, and we're just saying things like, I'm so glad you can be yourself with me, like, which is a better thing to say. So I just think that little snail analogy is, is perfect. And um, I didn't get that into my first edition because I had never, I hadn't learned that yet, but that is going into my second edition um, to just sort of keep in our heads as when people come out to us. I love that. I know I was going to post something last week and I was going to use coming out of the closet. And I thought, is that even okay to say still? I don't actually know what, if that's okay. So I love the whole snail analogy. One of the other things I want to touch on real quick that you have on your list, because I have a question behind it is keep confidentiality in mind. Mm -hmm. So if you have a child that wants to change pronouns or name, I mean, obviously friends and family need to know that. And what if they don't want to, like, that's kind of a hard one because they're obviously, we're not going to expect our child to sit down with all of friends and family. Do we take that on ourselves? I guess we get the child's input. How can we navigate that a little better? So that's exactly right. You just said it. We get the child's input. We go to the source. Um, every, every person is going to be different about how they want this to be, you know, to unfold in front of, you know, for the relatives. And so um, we, we definitely go to the source and we have that conversation. What does this look like? You know, can I support you in, in sharing this? How would you like this information shared? When should it be shared? Um, all that. So what name, what name should we use for you? So a, a lot of people will come to me and say, my, you know, my sister's child is non-binary. How do I refer to them? You know, they're not my niece or my nephew. And there are like new words now, like nibbling, which is a word, a non, um, a, an ungendered word for, the child of your sibling, a nibbling. Um, but we don't necessarily want to use that unless we know that that's an okay term that the child okay. would like you to use, right? So even though there are these, these cool words coming out now, like I said, we need more words. Um, we need to make sure that that is something that they appreciate you using. And confidentiality is huge because if you start referring to this child as your nibbling, people are probably going to ask questions and be like, what does that mean? And why are you using that word? And so you need to be prepared to answer questions about this non-binary child, which that child may or may not be ready for. So, so important that we go to the source. And the only thing I want to share about that is that it is really tiring to educate people constantly. And so I think a conversation also should happen with your child about sort of, you know, do we set aside a time maybe once a week, we get like a Q and a hour where I just ask you all these questions that I have, or are you okay with me asking questions like constantly? Because some some kids will be like, just ask me questions anytime. It's fine. They're excited about answering questions. And some are like, it's just, it's just really difficult to constantly be quest answering questions about their identity. And they probably prefer to have like just one time a day, like Sunday morning over coffee. We're just going to talk about this stuff and then save all your questions for Sunday morning over coffee, because that will help them, you know, deal. And so I think having conversations, not just about how do we talk with other relatives and, and when and where should we, you know, be sharing this information, um, have conversations about how to have the conversations mm -hmm. to, so that we're not constantly badger, not badgering them, but, you know, asking them questions all the time. That is so good. I just wrote that one down because I know with my own 13 year old, we have a lot of conversations about a lot of different things. We've had conversations about all of this, but sometimes she's very willing to just talk, talk, talk. And sometimes I'm like, 
what in the world? She just doesn't even want to talk about anything. So it's yeah. ask them, do you want to just have a talk about this all the time or should we set aside some time to chat? So I love that. That's so good. And like you brought up the mirroring, mirroring the terms that they use. And you have this whole chapter on having these engaging conversations. And that's one of one of the tips there was mirroring terms. And another big one was using the ungendered language and then using correct pronouns. And this goes outside of parenting. This is with all our interactions and not, I don't want to even say inter- interactions with LGBTQ plus community because we don't always know. So if we can just start using these ungendered, this ungendered language, give us a quick example of what that means for folks that are like, what is she even saying with ungendered terms? And I thought yes. about my whole podcast name, Her Story Speaks. And I'm like, well, I guess I haven't actually done that, but. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not alone. I mean, like, you know, women only colleges yes. and all sorts of gendered um, spaces are, are questioning like, well, what, what, you know, what, how are we defining women or how are we defining this or that and who is included? And so um, welcome to that whole conversation, but yes, thank you. Cause this is one of my favorite, like if anyone's going to, if people are going to take away sort of one savvy ally tip. I love the ungendering language into mirroring language. They, they kind of work circularly. We're just doing them as we move through the world. So an example would be, you know, someone sees my wedding ring and they say, oh, that's a gorgeous ring. You know, what does your husband do? Well, I have a husband. So I'm going to answer that question without any anxiety or fear. If I have a wife at home, I'm literally boxed into a corner by this, by this gendered language. The person has assuming that I'm a husband. I have three options of how I can respond to this person. I can lie, right? Oh, he's an accountant. I can deflect, Ooh, love your blouse. Or I can come out and say, well, actually I'm married to a woman. And I have to make that decision in a split second. And it's going to depend on like the vibe I'm getting from this person who asked and like how safe does the environment feel and who else might be listening. It's so unfair that we put people on the spot constantly with this ungendered language. So we literally can create safer spaces by, um, I mean, by gendered language, excuse me. So we, we can create safer spaces by ungendering our language, not making these expectations. Um, now, when someone now uses a term, so, so basically step one is to like use ungendered language if you know nothing about someone, absolutely nothing. Don't make any assumptions. Once they use a term, we should then mirror that term. That's the respectful thing to do. So if I say, hey, Andrea, I'm having a party. Feel free to bring you know, a, a loved one or a partner or, or partners. And you respond, um, oh, great, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll bring my wife. You've just given me valuable information about how to be respectful to you, right? So now rather than go back to that ungendered term of partner, I should latch on to the word wife because that's the word you used and say, oh, great, I'm looking forward to meeting your wife. So we just move through the world constantly with the ungender if we don't know, and then mirror the term when we do know. Um, And I just kind of want to say that when people hear ungendered words, I think sometimes they think that we want to ungender the world so that everybody is, you know, genderless. You know, we're all walking around in like earth tone tunics with bowl haircuts. Like that's not the goal. The goal is just the opposite. We want people to like explode with their gender and, and be as authentic as possible. So words like husband and girlfriend, those aren't bad words. They're, they're just words that we want to make sure apply to people. As soon as you hear that that's the word girlfriend, then you use the word girlfriend. Um, but if we don't know, we say, you know, oh, date, you know, do you have a date yet for the dance? So that's how those two work. And we just constantly use them. Um, ideally, we constantly use those to have respectful communications, as you said, with anyone. Okay. And 
with that respecting pronouns, tell me real quick. Oh, we're running out of time, but, um, these, I'm going to ask you questions that I have. So they, them it's hard. It's I'm, I'm not upper forties, so I'm not used to that. And I'm really trying and that's important that we try. So when we get it wrong, do we apologize, correct ourselves? So what's the, the best response for that? Cause I know that's, that's a, one that can be challenging for as older people when we're not used to that, but we're working on it because yes. children in second, that's just how it is. So what's the response when we mess up? Yeah. So you're, so you're referring to singular they, so using they to mean one person. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best, and it is, it is hard. If you don't have someone in your life who has you using singular they all the time, it's very, very hard to get good at it because you don't get a chance to practice it. So people are bound to mess up. Um, the best way to apologize if you um, accidentally use the wrong pronoun or name for someone is to apologize as if you bumped into them on the street. So if you bump into a total stranger on the street, you're probably not going to walk by without saying anything because that's rude. Um, but you're also not going to like, you know, sob on their shoes and tell them over and over and over how sorry you feel. You're just going to say, Ex- excuse me, or, you know, I apologize. Um, and the same should be true when you use the wrong pronoun for someone. Our instinct tends to be to over apologize because we feel so badly. But the pro- there's two problems with that. One is it draws a lot of attention to your error, which then draws a lot of attention to the person you just used the wrong pronoun with, and they might not want all that attention on them. And the second thing it does is sometimes we can make such a fuss about how badly we feel that the person we just used the wrong pronoun with is now trying to make us feel better. <laughs> We're like, wait a minute, how did that happen? So we don't want to get in those situations. So even though it's our instinct to like go on and on, just a quick I'm sorry, you know, I apologize. And then of course we need to put in the work to get it right the next time. And I know we're, we're low on time, so I won't go into those tips unless you want me to, but in my book, I share a lot of tips that have helped me get pronouns correct, um, including singular bay. And that's very helpful. And like you said, you go into it more in your book. The story I would love to end on, because I did want to dive into religious spaces. I know some so many of my listeners are coming out of maybe faith spaces or religion that was really harmful to this community. And they still are like, I don't want to say fighting this community, but maybe trying to speak up all of that. And sometimes it can just be like, I just want to give up, or I just want to call them homophobic and move on. But you share a story in your book that I thought was just really powerful because you encounter that too in trainings that you do and how, how you approach that to not just shut the door, because you said, the whole goal isn't to just completely, I mean, of course we'd love to change minds and hearts, but planting seeds is part of it. So if you don't mind just sharing that story um, with, with your encounter with the person that was very close to what you had to say and how you approach that. Sure. Yeah. And actually I just want to say anytime religion comes up, I, I just think it's really important to state that, you know, not all religions and not everyone who's religious is anti-LGBTQ plus. I, I don't want to give that vibe at all. I mean, there are so many um, wonderful faith communities that are doing great things to create more inclusive spaces and be affirming. So um, just want to make sure that that's clear. But yeah, um, so I, I was in a workshop once where a man um, who I'm calling Lou, I didn't use his real name in my book. Um, he was uh, a lunch aide at a school and um, he raised his hand during a workshop and said, you know, you've just come into my space to talk about your beliefs. May I now come into your space? And I think he meant at the Alliance where I worked to share my beliefs as a Christian man. And um, he, interestingly, he did it in such a respectful 
quiet tone that it actually took me a moment to realize like, oh, (laughs) this is an unhappy camper, you know, like it was just so respectful. So we had this really good back and forth, you know, conversation um, about sort of, you know, what my goals were and, and, you know, understand that we're not, you know, no one's asking you to change your beliefs, you know, which is, which is true. We all, we all come to school, we all come to work with different backgrounds and different beliefs. And what we just need to do is all be respectful to each other when we're there, like not asking you to, you know, as a lunch aide to change your beliefs. But um, I was so impressed with his tone that I, I, I was like, this is someone I want to talk with more. And I did, did something I, I had never done up to that point. I, I walked up to him after the workshop, I gave him my card and I said, I would like to take you out to dinner. Um, I just got the impression that he and I could have a really, really good conversation um, without yelling and screaming. Like this was the guy I wanted to talk to. And I don't get to talk to a lot of people who think so differently than I do and are willing to talk about it in a respectful way. So he actually went to his priest before he answered me because he was worried about the conversation or whether he should go. And the priest thankfully said, yeah, I don't see any harm in this. You know, why don't you do it? So we ended up uh, eating at the Cheesecake Factory here in my little hometown. And um, it was an amazing experience. I mean, you know, um, again, I, I'm not going to share the whole story, but I just feel like neither of us budged in our core beliefs. Like when we when we left that dinner, well, well, first of all, let me say that we were able to have the whole conversation beautifully, like no yelling, no screaming, a ton of listening to each other. And no one's beliefs changed, I don't think, over that dinner, right? But we both left with such a good a better understanding about where the other person was coming from, more respect for the other person. And the the thing that really shocked me was how much we had in common. And not just about like, you know, oh, we all like, you know, we both like baseball or whatever. I mean, it was like real stuff about like sort of what we want for our our children and what, what we want our world to be like. There was, we had so much in common. We were just coming at it from really different sides. And so it was a lovely dinner. It stands as one of the most amazing educational evenings of my life. We hugged goodbye. He was like, we should do this again sometime. It was just lovely. And I just think that we don't have enough conversations like that. I think we do. We write people off. We label them as homophobic or racist. You know, they're never going to change. Um, and and we have no idea who they really are unless we have these conversations. And again, we, we plant seeds. Um, I talk about how humans are really, really resistant learners. So no one's going to change their beliefs overnight. But as we move through the world and meet different people and have respectful conversations, that's what's really going to make us, you know, learn and grow and change. My entire chapter seven is called Good Talk. And it's just a hundred percent sort of how to have these respectful conversations. That was for me, one of the most powerful chapters coming out of a faith that was not affirming and still knowing people that I want to write off and that I want to be done with the conversations. (laughs) But your example was just so powerful about how it can be done civilly. And you didn't change his mind totally, but at all, probably, but you just planted a seed, softened his heart, showed the the common ground that you guys had. And also it wasn't, what also spoke to me is it wasn't a person from the LGBTQ community that had to do that. Like that's the whole point of being an ally. So that person doesn't have to put themselves on the line and experience hate and rejection. You you're out there in the front, you have this knowledge and you can represent and support and speak up for. Thank you for that chapter and sharing that story. And then the final chapter also in the, in the book is more actions to take. Cause once we learn all this, 
there are actions. Hopefully you don't just put the rainbow flag on your backpack for 20 years that you get out there. (laughs) I mean, we're not going to judge, but get out there and take some action steps. And you do that beautifully in your book, telling folks how to how to do that, how to get involved and steps to take. So I know we're out of time, so we'll wrap up, Jeannie, but tell fo- tell me and folks where they can buy your book, where they can find you, all of those things. And we'll put links to it, but you go ahead and let, let them know here. Sure. So my website is called SavvyAllyAction.com. And uh, on the website, you'll find links to purchase my book. Um, although you can also just jump on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any of those uh, places to purchase it. Um, you'll also find, as you mentioned, uh, handouts that you can download, information on my workshops if you're interested in having me um, come and speak with your school or your agency, um, and then also my videos. So I have a lot of my videos are on my website, um, and then I also have a YouTube channel under the same name, Savvy Ally Action. Okay, and when you said earlier, this is your business because you do go into schools, businesses all of these things to show them how they can be more LGBTQ friendly, how they can be inclusive. Because you have a whole section on bathrooms. Your book is just so good and needed. So thank you for it. And I'm looking forward to the updated copy and just recommend it so much for, for my listeners and people that want to be allies to this community. Again, the book is called The Savvy Ally, A Guide for Becoming a Skilled LGBTQ Plus Advocate. So thank you again, Jamie, for this hour and for your book and your voice. Thank you for inviting me. This is great. It's enjoyable talking to you.